welcome to Spinning the Reel, a podcast by Evan and Cody. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Spinning the Reel. I'm your host, Evan. Oh, this is my cue. Oh, yeah, I'm the other host, Cody. What's up, guys? Yes, dude, this is what happens when we can't look at each other. It's better for our eyes, but worse for our ears. Yes. Uh, today is May 11th, and we are, uh, we're bringing you a brand new episode. What's going on uh, in the world today, Cody? I'm back to work, baby. I asked what was going on in the world, not in your life. Oh, sorry. I was very self-centered there. Uh, Go well, ahead. I think no, we kinda... tell, us, tell, us, tell us what's going on in your life. Well, I'm back to work, man. I feel a bit of normalcy, you know, back to the day-to-day routine of getting up at 5 a.m. and getting out the door and oh. actually having to put on pants, I guess. Were you not putting on pants, Cody? Well, I was wearing like basketball shorts and stuff. Why was I going to be not comfortable in my own house? So That's fair. That's a good point. Now I have to put on pants, so that's where I'm at. But I think have to. I mean, I'd be a little. Uh, I don't think I can go to work and get away with it. Maybe on a Friday. Yeah, for sure. Well, do we have a few messages for the people? We want to say Happy uh, Mother's Day. Yes. Right? Yes. Yesterday is was Mother's Day, so we hope that you could forget the social distancing for a second and hopefully give her a hug. Give that's her a hug how, for me. Uh, that's not how physical distancing works, Cody. You're I know. not supposed to I understand. be within six feet of anyone, regardless of the day. Just give them a hug anyway. Even if it's just a day made up to sell greeting cards. I love you, Mom. Yeah. Don't D- be mad. Just for the record, you don't need Mother's Day to tell your mom every day that you love her. So that's my piece of advice for you guys. Also, stay six feet away from your mother at all times. <laughs> this also applies to mothers-in-law. How many, how many beers are you in now, Evan, today? Oh, you know, we're working on the second one, but yeah. that's just the way that life goes, right? I see, yeah. The beer um, drinking is up. Second point that we want to make here is uh, rest in peace to uh, Jerry Stiller. Did you see this, Cody, yeah. that Jerry Stiller passed away? I did not, So this no. is Ben Stiller's dad, and I'm saying that because that's probably how you'd know him best. Um, did you ever watch Seinfeld? I have watched Seinfeld. He played uh, George Costanza's dad, Frank Costanza, okay. on uh on Seinfeld, and I, I know I spent a lot more time today than I probably should have watching old Frank Costanza clips, the you know Festivus, and and uh, Serenity Now and whatnot. So it's uh, it's pretty sad that that dude was very very funny. Well, rest in peace. Rest in peace to him. But uh, let's talk about uh, this show, Cody. What what are we what are we doing today? We are talking about none other than the director Damien Chazelle. That's right. We got a couple movies. We got Whiplash, we got La La Land, and we got First Man. So we're gonna dive into all three. What brought this about, Cody? How did we How did we get into this topic? You know what? You I asked for a recommendation on a movie, and you're like, "Oh, look at my uh, letterbox reviews." And I was looking, and I'm like, "Oh, La La Land. I don't, you know, I haven't seen that. I like uh, who was in it, so I'm like, I'm gonna watch this. Absolutely loved it." Then I said, "All right, I'm gonna watch the rest of them because I'd already seen I'd already seen First Man as well. Um, that was before I knew who the director was, of course, because I was not into that kind of stuff. Um, so I'd seen that prior. So I'm like, okay, I've already seen that, and I might as well just see Whiplash at this point. So I have all three in my arsenal to talk about. And that's how podcasts are made, folks. <laughs> Multiple days after they're scheduled to come out, that's how podcasts are made. But we are late again, just as usual. Get used to it, but during this quarantine. But hey, at least we're still producing. No, we're we're supposed to promise to be better, Cody. We're not supposed to tell people to deal with it. We will be better. We are content creators. We'll be better. All right. Well, with that, why don't we uh, actually talk about some movies? All right, Cody. So you you mentioned it off the hop here. We are talking about Damien Chazelle's uh, filmography here, and that's uh, that's pretty exciting because we mentioned him on the last podcast as an up and coming director. He's got uh, three really well known films that we're going to talk about under his belt, and then one older one that was sort of before he emerged as um, as this up and coming director. So we're going to talk about first 
his uh, first major movie, and that is Whiplash. So uh, why don't you tell everyone what Whiplash is? Whiplash is about a young man who's on the drums in a jazz band, and he's just he's trying to pursue to be the best, man. That's it. That's Short the and whole sweet. story? Well, there's more okay. to it, but that's that's my feedback on it. That's my review. That's not my See, review. normally I can't my get you to stop talking about what happens in a movie in, in just intimate detail. Yeah. But this movie, you've left out a crucial piece, is that he's going to a prestigious music school, and he's under the tutelage of a notoriously harsh conductor played by J.K. Simmons. You might as well just take my job. You start. You're, you know what? This whole episode, you're going to no, give all the synopsis. No, nope. no, it's not too late. We've we right, only well, done the first uh, one. Will you at least tell me what you thought about Whiplash? Of course, buddy. So right off the first, I've seen this. It came out in 2014. I just want to mention that because I think this movie would have been perceived by me better if I'd seen it in theaters. I know there's a lot of good buzz around it. Um, there's a lot of adrenaline and intensity that you you get still watching this movie. I just think I would have been transfixed on it more had I been in that you know atmosphere uh, through the entire movie. But I mean, it really does draw you in from that first opening scene uh, when he's playing the drums and stuff, and it 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 doesn't stop. Like that level of intensity kind of only gets higher, and the last twenty minutes and stuff is just honestly really phenomenal for me. Um, so it's like a good drama between the two leads. Of course, like you said, you got you know your. Uh, the two guys, uh, Miles, Miles Teller, Teller who plays Simmons. Andrew, and then J.K. Simmons, who plays Fletcher, who's the teacher, who's pretty ruthless, as you find as you watch throughout the movie. Um, and I like that, obviously, going back and forth, the controversy between the two of them and, you know, butting heads and all that kind of stuff. We'll get into that, too, as well. Um, what I didn't like compared to the other two that we're going to talk about is because of this pace, I felt like there was no time for Andrew to reflect and, like, on this upcoming of being the best of you know, trying to live his dream. And when we get into the other two, you'll kind of see, I think, or if you've even seen all three of these movies, you might get that same feel or same impression that I might get that this movie is just so fast. And so, you know, not a moment to pause, not a moment to breathe that you just, Andrew himself, you know, when he's going for this dream, just like the other two movies where there's a dream to be achieved. It's just, there's not really any thing about like Andrew, like there's enough to like see his change and development there's just not enough for me to really absolutely love this movie um, in the same way that I really appreciate the other two. So that's kind of my feelings on Whiplash. Yeah, I think you touched on something interesting about Damien Chazelle generally. And, and this is one of the points that came to me after watching these movies is that he doesn't necessarily have a distinct style uh, visually, right? Each of these movies look a little different and we can get into that as we go through the other one, this movie is very uh, fast cutting, intense, close shots, right? And and you get a lot of the, the whole sense of it is to be visceral. You get the zoom in on the drums as he's drumming. You see him bleeding all over the drums and things like that, you know? Um, but thematically, all of Damien Chazelle's films boil down to one simple premise, which is so far it's entirely men hoping and doing whatever they can to achieve this goal that they've set for uh, themselves. And so in this case, Andrew's goal is to be one of the greats uh, when it comes to drumming, right? He's always talking about these different jazz musicians, and we can get into Damien Chazelle's obsession with jazz at, a, at some point in this, uh, in this episode. But his, his entire goal is it revolves around being the best drummer that he can be and so he works his way into Fletcher's top jazz competition band. I'm not really exactly sure how all of that works. And it's sort of about the lengths that he's willing to go to to achieve these, these various goals. And I think, in a way, it doesn't dig into the psyche of Andrew quite as much as, uh, as some of the other films that we're going to talk about dive into their protagonists' um, personal ambitions but what it does do is it shows sort of the physical and the emotional strain that he's put under because he knows that it's going to make him great and this goes i mean to spoil a movie that's what this came out in 2014 it's a it's a pretty old movie now like he he gets literally gets into a car accident to try and uh, achieve this goal of being uh 
being the best jazz drummer and he he shows up at this recital so i i think it does explain really well the lengths that uh that andrew is willing to go to the sacrifices he's willing to make be it his family be it his relationships uh he understands that what it doesn't do is show you the other side of that right it's not a very complete picture of the world around him because these decisions that he makes do have tolls on his family on his relationships on his studies, various things that you don't really see in this movie. It's really just more of a dynamic between him and Fletcher, which is endlessly entertaining because the two of them play it really well. I just, uh, I'm sort of with you in that it doesn't give you as full a picture and it doesn't allow Andrew necessarily the reflection, not necessarily in the moment, but after that maybe this isn't what he wanted all along because the way it ends, which I think is a pretty entertaining ending, uh, it, it doesn't end by showing you necessarily any remorse or any frustration. It doesn't give you any sense that Andrew regrets anything. It's it, it does seem like at the end, he feels like he's accomplished what he set out to accomplish. And maybe he has, maybe he hasn't, maybe that's the point. But for me, it's less satisfying as, as maybe the other two that we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, because the you know the only background story you get with him is obviously he wants to be the best and he opens up timid and stuff too afraid to ask out the girl of course at the movie theaters and you get you know very little like all of a sudden it's like oh I have confidence because you know um, Fletcher gives him the compliment the teacher at this point like oh you could you can be the best and then you know he gets the courage to ask her out um, and it, yeah it's just very short-lived to have this connection and he just quickly goes from like zero to a hundred and it's like okay he's you know charming guys trying to get his own in the world kind of thing and then all of a sudden at least for me like by the end I'm like oh this guy's kind of a full-fledged you know dick at this point really like he completely became the opposite of where he started and I you know his demeanor just changed and you know there's the whole how so you think you think by the end he was oh yeah I dick yeah I do I do I think okay I do think he became kind of what Fletcher was to begin with and not that that's bad again like right Fletcher there's that whole scene at the end and you know the whole at what point do you think that peaked like what what give me an example of a scene where you think that is showcased where he basically he's become Fletcher he's you know more when he flipped him off at the very end and the whole you know what he walked back on stage he started playing again and he gave him like the middle finger I think that's when he like full-fledged said I'm gonna be the best and I think he crossed a line because he asked Fletcher too in the bar before all this, you know, transpired. Is do you think there's a line, right? Because Fletcher brings up a very good point, and this is one mm-hmm. of the questions I have on there: is there's no two words more harmful. This is what Fletcher's saying to him at the time. Then good job. Sure. He doesn't give the compliments. He doesn't give the positive feedback. He pretty much right. The whole movie's like not my tempo, not my tempo, not my tempo. Right. You're, and you're terrible at this. I'm yeah. gonna bring in someone else. Exactly, yeah. and he's he's always pushing, right? He's you know he, he went from one drummer to obviously bringing Andrew in, and then even a third drummer, and you know there's that whole scene where they're playing out over an entire span of a night to like three a.m. because he's just upset with all three of them that they can't play at his tempo, and I think the mm-hmm. entire time it's like, come on, dude, like there is that fine line in my personal opinion between obviously pushing someone to be the best. Um, and I think Andrew crosses it at that point too, at the end where it's like, okay, you've kind of become the full face Fletcher that you kind of were at first, of course, intimidated by and, you know, whatnot. And here you are now and you just kind of taken on his persona because I mean, he didn't really have anyone else to take on, right? At least as harsh as Fletcher was, there was no other connections. I think like, I, I get it. He had a pretty good connection with his dad. He still saw movies and stuff with him as you could see. But outside of that, it's like his family, the family dinner, um, you know, oh, what are you doing? Like, oh, well, I'm top jazz band in the freaking world, basically. And, they, and they no one cares. Care yeah, none of them cared. It's like, oh, wait, what about you who's playing at a D3 college and just scored a touch, a 93-yard touchdown or whatever it was? And it's like, so there's, you know, I could see why he still, you know, that was like the figure that he was aspiring to be. Not him as obviously a director, Fletcher, that is, of course. But to be the best, yeah, yeah, um, you know, you want to you want to be with the best to play the best. So I kind of want to dig into that a little bit because that's not really how I saw that final scene. I didn't see him as being 
a dick or becoming like Fletcher necessarily at the end. I saw it as more of him realizing his potential at the end of him realizing that he could do it of, I, I don't know. I mean, I know Fletcher was kind of a dick the entire movie and his, his methods were terrible and all that, but you know, they give an indication basically that this guy is trying to get the best out of his um, musicians and the way he went about it obviously was damaging and harmful to anyone that wasn't exceptional, but he did all of these things and he mentions it to bring the best out of Andrew and at the end, he embarrasses him to uh, just out of, you know, him being a vindictive prick, right? But also, like, you could see that as maybe him trying to rile up Andrew. And he comes out and he gives this just unrelenting drumming performance, basically conducting the whole band. And maybe he is becoming a little bit like Fletcher because he does kind of conduct the thing there now as I sort of talk my way through it. But... I do. I don't think that's necessarily him being a jerk. It's just him realizing that, hey, I do have what it takes. Like I am everything I need to be. I don't need validation through this guy. Like I'm just gonna do my thing, and if it's good enough, it's good enough. And him coming to that realization at the end. Yeah, yeah. Is there a part of you? I, there was a part of me that was like, was that in scene like real? Right? Like he had already kind of ruined his life and he obviously he ruined both of them kind of ruined each other's lives and stuff. And he kind of stopped playing just to randomly like meet in that bar. And then like, that's the outcome. Like, I don't know like why I feel like in some way, like that's kind of like just his dream, right? Like not actual reality. He saw La La Land right before. Maybe that could be it completely. But yeah, no, I never, I didn't take it that way necessarily. Like I saw that and thought like, okay, that's, that's how this movie ends. That's what happens. And Let's just, um, let's it's, just. I mean, it's possible that uh, J.K. Simmons tracked him down somewhere, or well, no, that wouldn't make sense because J.K. Simmons was already in the the bar, right? Yeah, he was. He was the special guest of the evening, like right. He was the special guest, and so he, uh, so Andrew shows up to talk to him. Yeah, and it's just I don't know, like that stuff that didn't work for me, right? Like he had got into a huge fight after being in the accident. Which first off, Andrew, way to take that car accident like a champ, get up and get to the recital still or the jazz Dude, that competition. Was I was not expecting that. Right. But then to have that fight obviously break out and then like the next scene, it's like, oh, I'm actually, that's fine. Now I'm playing with the best in the world anyway because he gets brought into, you know, uh, Fletcher's band. And it's just like, I don't know. It's kind of was but like. It wasn't, it wasn't like a whimsical, magical fairy tale. You got invited to the band. Like Fletcher invited him to the band to embarrass him. Yeah. To so. get revenge on getting fired. Let's agree as well that, you know, J.K. Simmons is Fletcher. Like, that was phenomenal performance, by the way. Um, yeah, he... Spider-Man, uh, Tobey Maguire would be running good. around. He'd be like, oh, my God, so... Yeah, J.K. Simmons is uh, is great. He's uh, in Juno, right? He's in... He's in a, a lot, lot of, of those. Uh, yeah. So... He's good. All right, what's... um? Did you want to talk a little bit about that uh, no two? You wrote down these no two words more harmful than a than good job. Yeah, I think we kind of touched on it there. Yeah, I'm good with it. Was there something like you wanted to say? Like you agree, you disagree, you? I to an extent I agree, but then when Andrew came back with like, do you think there's a limit? I think we can all kind of agree as much as you're willing to push. I think the person like such as Andrew, like that person, needs to be willing and wanting to do it as well. You can't push someone obviously to achieve a dream that they themselves don't want to overachieve. I think that goes for, I think, anything in life. So um, I thought it was an interesting take just to like that that was said and that whole scene happened. And then obviously we get that end scene that was what we just discussed. So it was an interesting take. Like as much as you kind of start to, of course, like you said, J.K. Simmons was kind of just a dick, prick throughout the whole movie, still brings up a valid point. And then Andrew kind of just, you know, rebuttals in. Yeah, I don't know, just... One of the scenes that kind of made me stand out when it came to the end and all. So, Yeah, I do think he was well-meaning through the whole thing. I mean, he does clearly have an attachment to his old students mm -hmm. that went on. There's the talk of one of his students that went on to do great things. And I don't really know the jazz world, so I, I can't really remember yeah, exactly and he has, like, what I mean, he did. But, and he, he gets emotional when, when that guy killed himself. That's what happened. Yeah, which obviously was a lie, but... Um... Yeah, but then there's also the scene where, you know, you see Fletcher, uh, J.K. Simmons' character again, 
um when he's talking to a little girl and stuff like there's humanity in him and like he still cares and like you get that yeah, decency no, I, of still where it's like that's a real person right like he's good enough but then ruthless enough at the same time um i think he's ruthless in an effort to make the best out of his students i think he truly does want for them to be great yes in that sense um i i do think just to your point moreover is that especially i don't know especially in like western society generally maybe maybe the united states and in specific like we do have this over obsession with criticism of like telling people they suck until they're they get better and and using that to build yourself back up yeah but i've been reading this interesting book and it it's um about like social psychology and one of the chapters was about like the israeli this is totally like a tangent here but i think it kind of relates uh the israeli military right and they were talking to uh, fighter pilot instructors and they noticed that after criticism the next flight was generally better and after um praise the next flight was generally worse and, and I... they dug into it and it it turned out there was actually no effect the only reason that was the case was because generally you would get criticized after a bad flight and reversion to the mean like back to a more normal situation would mean your next flight was probably better and if you were praised for an especially good flight that was probably you on the better end of your spectrum whereas a reversion to the mean would mean that your next flight was likely worse so you'd tend to perform yeah. worse so when they when they randomly assigned praise and uh praise and criticism between flights regardless of how it went it turned out there was no effect either way so it it it's just one of those things where i think i don't know we we get this sense that like this anecdotally that this is what what works and what doesn't but it maybe necessarily isn't the case but it's a good narrative to tell ourselves yeah i mean i don't think that's a tangent at all because i was going to try and cut in there the whole you know i i think a lot of people do take that right you hear good job or you know that builds up your self-esteem you feel a little good and you'll probably do a little bit better the next time at least you you know kind of at the same time it's like oh you hear a good job and it's like I'm good. I hit a point where it's like, you know, they appreciate what I'm doing, whatever it is. Right. And it's like, mm, I don't really need to try any harder. I don't need to get any better. I'm good where I'm at, where if you get criticized and stuff, first off, you're right. A lot of people don't take criticism very well at all. And low criticism makes you better. Right. Um, and so that's an interesting whatever book that is that that doesn't make an effect, because I really would think that it would make an effect, uh, not just obviously called The Undoing pilots. Project by Michael Lewis. Check it out. So, yeah. But I mean, if I got criticized, right, like I'm not taking it as criticism that, you know, I'm bad at what I do. I'm taking I think it as it criticism. It depends how it's delivered. Right. Yeah. And I think in this movie but in particular to bring it into Whiplash is as much as you would, you know, we both agree that, wow, this guy's kind of ruthless. He's kind of, you know, at this stage. You reflect back, and I'm like, mm, I, he does yeah. get the best out of Andrew. Yes, and he gets the best out of his band, and he wins competitions endlessly and endlessly. So there's a give and take to it all. So it, that's kind of why it's I brought like it. if I just said, Cody, you suck at this. You're the worst podcaster in the world. That's not helpful. No one's getting better that way. You know, we gotta we gotta be constructive in the way that we uh, that we criticize. I see. So are you gonna You're great, cuz? Thank you. I appreciate that. Look at now you feel better about yourself as we move into a, a much more cheerful movie. Is it? I I feel like tonally it's a little more cheerful. Yeah, it's more cheerful. Let's talk it's about La La Land. What happens in La La Land? What is La La Land about? Nope, this is all you. I told you. You're taking over this episode. All right, sure, fine. La La Land is a musical by Damien Chazelle starring uh, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling about a an aspiring jazz musician who wants to own a jazz club and an aspiring actress who meet by chance in Los Angeles and their stories intertwine. So that's La La Land. What did you think about it, Cody? This is the one I recommended to you. This is the one I, I told you, you would love La La Land. Yeah. And, and I loved did. La La Land. Yeah. I thought this movie was it, from the, the opening scene. It was just so captivating. I'm not usually huge into musicals and stuff, or I just don't take the time, I guess, to go see one, to go watch one, whatever it might be. There's not a lot of new ones these days. Yeah, but, I mean, right away, I was like, wow, like, just the camera work, like, in that opening scene, I'm like, this is, like, really interesting, it's really cool, and as the movie progressed, you still get that same camera work, and obviously we're going to touch on that very heavily, I think, here with both of our uh, kind of initial impressions. Um, but, like, the music aspects, like I said, you're able to, like, it, 
it was just so well at portraying like the range of emotions this film like had you feel like the first half there's honestly not that much talking if I'm being honest like um it just seemed like music kind of carried the tone and the setting and like the emotions and that's what I really loved about this film is you know that's where I give it its biggest props I love movies that obviously make you feel that range of emotion and I think that movie this movie did it very well even with very little dialect in like the beginning dialogue in the beginning um and then, like I said, the cinematography really good it engulfs you. Uh, there's scenes that we're going to get into that I think were just super transcending, to be honest with you. Um, and the message here, I, I like it. You know, it's, you know, one, a sentiment and not the same ordeal that we're used to, you know, and seeing in this Hollywood love story ending. Before, I would have been really against this, to be honest with you. You know how the I way like the those, movie ended. Yeah, with the way the movie ended, I like those happy endings, right? We kind of all wish for that. Um, and this one, I think a lot of people might say, oh, that's not a happy ending at all. Um, for me in particular, I actually, I'm really happy with the way this movie ended and uh, just all in all, like uh, the dreams to get achieved and the way this one played out compared to Whiplash, um, there's just more of that character development, more of that feeling, more of that emotion um, that I just, I couldn't help but praise. Like it was just really good. Yeah, no, I, I think you've got a lot of it there. I think that I want to touch on the cinematography specifically because there's something interesting. And this is what I meant when I talked about with Whiplash that Damien Chazelle doesn't really have a distinct visual style. All of his films are beautiful, but they're shot very differently. Again, Whiplash is very frantic, manic camera, uh, jumping back and forth between different players in the band uh, and and between um, conductor, like all, all of these things going on at once. Whereas La La Land, the camera feels like a character in the movie. It feels like you are viewing this movie from ground level, that you're a part of every scene. You're, you're swaying and twirling and, and dancing along with the plot at every moment. And, and it's just sort of magnificent. So I, I've seen this movie. I watched it for the first time, I don't know, a few weeks ago. Watched it again when we decided we were going to do this podcast. And it's just sort of magical to watch the way that the camera just sort of floats and glides along through these scenes as they're these like massive musical numbers it really makes you feel like you're a part of this this whole engrossing thing that's going on another part of that too is that ryan gosling and emma stone are obviously tremendous actors and they play these roles really well but they're not especially great singers I mean, they're they're better singers than I am, and and probably you are. I I don't know. I haven't really heard you sing, Cody. You want to sing City of Stars for us? No, but to give you some constructive criticism, I think your singing could get better. It's just it's not there yet, Evan. It's it's very bad. But they can sing a little bit, but they're not like great singers. So it sort of brings you in and makes you feel like this could happen to anybody. Like this could be anyone chasing their dreams. It doesn't have to be like these are the uber talented people that are portraying these characters but these are just like two folks trying to be their very best in this world and it, it just feels very relatable in that sense so you you can do that and and again i also acknowledge this is like i think i said it to you this is an extremely white movie <laughs> like it's it's a bunch of white people dancing and singing and trying to become actors and jazz musicians and stuff and it's just like it is a very very white movie but like it, it does draw you in in those those various ways through like again the cinematography and and the relatability of of everything there yeah, yeah, because obviously Emma and Ryan aren't known to be singers. Uh, they're known to be actors and actresses. And it's just funny, too, that like in this movie in particular, it's like, oh, Emma, you're trying to become an actress and, you know, in playing a horrible, like in being a horrible actress in the movie because no one picks up on her. It's like, well, she's actually I, like, I the don't best. think she was playing a horrible no, actress. No, I'm just saying, it's just funny. It's, oh, I thought she was pretty it's, good. it's just ironic because she's good. Yeah, you're so, like, of course, why wouldn't you hire Emma Stone? Exactly. So, um, but yeah, it is very relatable. Um, it's something that even with the, you know, jazz and all that kind of stuff that dials it down to this, you know, musical, of course, it doesn't lose that sense of emotional connection to these characters um, as they progress through their lives and, you know, doing their thing, right? You get a, to a point in the movie where, uh, like, my one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Emma's just like, you know, oh, I need to tell you right off the bat, 
I don't like jazz. You know, they'd already been talking and stuff and kind of making, you know, these connections and feelings for one another. Right. And, you know, he goes off and he's like, what? You don't like jazz? And he, you know, he t- takes her to the whole jazz, you know, you know, bar at that point and goes off on like a two or three minute tangent on like why jazz is the best kind of oh, thing. Why jazz is great. Yeah. Right. And then it gets to a point as their relationship develops then as well that this jazz connection, right? Like, oh, actually, I like jazz and stuff because you see her. Fa- I like it now because of you. Yeah. And you see that facial expression change, right? When he he takes on a different role uh, in the movie, right? Where he ends up with John Legend and his band and stuff and doing something obviously different that sells, that gets him money to support and all that kind of stuff, but losing himself along the way. And even she realizes it, right? Because she gets to a point where she hears him live and it's like, this isn't you, like, right? This isn't actually what I fell in love with with you kind of thing. What are you doing? And I I really like that, right? Like, it's relatable in that sense is... You know, sometimes you give up a dream here or there to chase a new dream, right? Like, I think that's kind of what happened in this movie. Uh, I could be mistaken, but that's how I saw it. That, you know, he gave up a little bit of his dream to make sure that he could keep her in his life and hopefully in that way help her pursue her dream, right? Like, I think that's kind of like what I was feeling. Um, And then the honesty that she had, obviously, over the whole dinner and stuff. Like, it goes both ways, right? So, those are just some of my impressions. I think you're right. I, I think it comes down to that that final stunner of a scene where um, she sees him in his jazz club. You know, he's achieved his dream. She's achieved her dream. But they see each other, and then it, it unleashes this sequence of what could have been. And you realize that all along that wasn't really what either of them wanted, right? When it, when it came down to it, once they met each other when, and they were, you know, pursuing their separate dreams but together – the thing that they wanted wasn't what they thought they wanted initially. They what they want, their new dream was each other, and I mean that sounds corny as hell to say, but that's what that movie is about, right? And I think that's what makes this movie more interesting as a study, interesting to watch, um, thematically interesting than uh, than Whiplash, is that in the end, Miles Teller gets what he wants, right? Miles Teller's character ends up on this big stage performing for all the muckety mucks and, and shows every the world that he is a great drummer and it all sort of validates, but in La La Land and also in first man, like we're going to talk about in a minute here, you get sort of the opposite effect, right? And this movie really is, it's about, I think Ryan Gosling a little more than it is about Emma Stone's character and, and Ryan Gosling's character, Sebastian, I think you, you see that he has achieved what he set out to achieve. Like he, all he can talk about the entire movie is jazz and his jazz club and how he needs to open this club. And he does finally. And the thing you end up realizing is that that wasn't, that it means nothing if he can't share it with the person that he's in love with. And that that was really his dream this entire time. And I, I think that has a much more emotional and, and effective, uh, or affective effect uh, than whiplash because you realize like, Hey, you set out to achieve this singular greatness. What do you give up along the way? And in, in La La Land, the, the determination is that what you give up along the way ultimately isn't worth what you have in the end. Yeah. And La La Land just did a better job of that. Like what you did. I'll just reiterate that. Well, fact. I don't think whiplash did it at all. You know, like whiplash, he got what he wanted, and there wasn't really any consequence of it, you know? Yeah. Well, In the end, like, he didn't lose anything. Correct, and that's why I'm saying La La Land differentiates, and same with First Man, where those two I actually, I think, had a more appreciation for because of that biggest aspect that you kind of just you, you brought up, right? What do these gentlemen give up to achieve what they want? And both of them just do it, it like, you do it, it first off, mm-hmm. and... Uh, yeah, just it just works. It works for me. I I do enjoy it. I think before, like I said, uh, especially with La La Land, like the way that ended, I probably would have been upset. You know, a good year and a half ago, uh, with where I was with movies, um, but now I'm like, you know what? Nope, that's actually that's a really good way to end it. Like I was really appreciative of it. I understood it, um, and it just makes you, you know, it's not just that Hollywood. Like I said, Hollywood fairy tale ending. So. I enjoyed it. True. It's not the the Hollywood fairy tale ending, but one of the interesting things that's woven through this movie is this conflict between 
tradition and innovation. And it's it's sort of the central conflict between Ryan Gosling's character and John Legend's in their band. Ryan Gosling is a traditionalist. He wants uh, to bring back jazz for what jazz is. And uh, John Legend uh, appears to uh, to love jazz just as much, but he wants to modernize it. He wants to bring it to new audiences. And I think that that whole conflict is sort of a microcosm of this film in general, because this is a movie essentially about what this movie is, is it's an old Hollywood musical, but modernized for new audiences, right? This is a, like, if you look at it and you compare it to, I, I can't even think of a recent musical, to be honest, like we just don't get them anymore. It's, it's a refresh of an old Hollywood staple. And, it, and in a lot of ways, it's the same sort of thing, right? It's tap dancing and it's these big musical numbers that break out in the middle of scenes. But somehow it feels entirely modern as well. It's set in the modern day and, and it just feels so new, but also while capturing the spirit of the old. And I was wondering if you kind of got a sense of how this movie played as a reflection of itself. I didn't. I guess I didn't take that as much out of it until you've just brought it up there. Um, but it is interesting, right? Like he doesn't want to change Ryan Gosling character. That is doesn't want to change. He wants that original jazz that he fell in love with. That he wants other people to fall in love with. Where John Legend's character in this particular film is a character where it's like, you know, they butted heads to begin with, right? Like we we get the whole scene where like he left because he was too modernizing what Ryan Gosling loved. And sure here he is back with him and making these changes and you could see like he's still not happy but he's willing to do it um and it's just it is interesting right i think you can relate that not just to jazz and in particular in this movie um but where is that fine line right do you lose that sense 20 years down the road where stuff does modernize right and stuff does develop and stuff does change and people fall in love with something new this world's constantly changing as it is um and you know five minutes from now something that was trendy before isn't trendy now we see it with everything um, but yeah, that sense of old versus new in this Hollywood, um, I guess I just didn't really take that. I just didn't see it like that. So it's hard to talk about it, I guess. So, and it was interesting to hear your take on that. Um, I just didn't really take as much of that out of it. Um, but like I said, it's interesting to hear those thoughts of it and see it that way now to where I could probably now reflect back a little bit more on this film. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of thought it was interesting, mm -hmm. but Speaking of reflecting back, let's uh, let's reflect back on a great achievement of humanity, Cody. Ooh, wait, hold on. First and off, hold on, about... hold on, hold on. First but... off, I'm upset on this next film because it has no jazz. Rock on, jazz. Are you, you, I shouldn't you say rock on, jazz. My wonderful segue. All right, hold on. Go ahead, finish your segue. To say that. No, it's too late now. All right, We're looking back on a great moment of human history. And talk about First Man, Damien Chazelle's most recent film. Uh, overlooked at the Oscars last year, Cody, but we saw this one together in a big IMAX theater. We did. This was like one of the and... only films I saw in probably a long time and before I got like any of the AMC pass or anything. And it was good. It was good. You want to tell them, you want to tell them what it's about? It's a biopic of, of our boy Neil Armstrong, First Man on the Moon, also played Great. by Ryan Gosling. Perfect. Way to, way to put it and not make me do it. Um, all right. So tell me what you thought about it. You can you can say either on your first viewing, your second viewing. Sure. And I think it's important here. Uh, what you think you'll think about it on your third viewing. Yeah. So it's interesting to note here, and I brought it up in Whiplash only because I think it's relevant to First Man as well, where I think Whiplash would have been that much more of a kind of transcending experience had I seen that in theaters as, um, instead of at home. I think, I think first Land probably too. Yeah, I get, you could, I guess, make the case you're right for all of them. Uh, but First Man, because I did see both in the theaters, in IMAX, all that good stuff, and then at home, um, on the first playthrough, I think I definitely enjoyed it more. I think you felt more engulfed in the, you know, being part of the team and all that kind of stuff, right, with the launch and all the scenes and stuff. You just felt, like, more there, where at home, um, on the second viewing, I want to say I appreciated the story more and I respected it more, um, but I wasn't as like blown away from uh, entertainment standpoint 
And that's kind of where the difference lies for me um, in these two films on the two different kind of ways that I viewed them. So, but all in all, like I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good biopic. I, you know, I like the slow transition of, you know, really what, again, you have to give up to achieve what you want to achieve. And this was obviously a huge achievement uh, for, in this particular case, the United States. Right. Um, so I, I think your comment about the movie theaters, uh, the theater experience for watching this movie is a good one because so much of the movie, right from the opening sequence, is he's bouncing off the atmosphere and struggling to get the, um, I, I don't know, get it to stabilize, get his uh, his uh, plane yep. to come back into, uh, into gravitational pull is like viscerally enthralling and you get that experience so much more when you're singularly focused on it in a movie theater so i I agree that watching it on you know your tv at home it doesn't have necessarily the same effect and there's a lot of scenes that are like that where you feel that sort of thin line between where they could like live and die in any given moment that doesn't quite play as well as at home but I do think that you're right in the sense that like this is another movie about the sacrifices made to achieve something. And once again, it's Damien Chazelle expanding the scope again. So Whiplash, you could look at it as the effect on a single man uh, when he is singularly focused on achieving a goal. And then La La Land is this look at what happens to the people around you as well when when you are trying to achieve this goal and like what you lose along the way but first man isn't just about what neil armstrong had to sacrifice it's about what the united states had to sacrifice it's about the lives lost the money that it costs and and it also adds this additional element of Neil Armstrong not necessarily just wanting to be the first man on the moon that is singularly trying to be this figure in history. It really anchors it back to his daughter, right? And that's like a key uh, piece of this movie as a propulsion to for Neil Armstrong to achieve his goals. So he wants to do this because he wants it for his daughter. He wants to have something to show for this relationship that he had with his daughter and losing her. And he, he wants to prove that he can do the impossible because maybe that will be some sort of redemption in his eyes in the world's eyes and his family in some small way, maybe that will make up for the fact that he couldn't save her. And I, I think that it just adds this element of depth to the story that, even the previous two movies didn't necessarily have as much as I loved uh, La La Land as well. Yeah, this one was a more slow, methodical kind of, you're right, trans- and it it was, you know, I think a big part in just watching this movie was just, you know, the psychology behind what it actually took. Um, and you see this with his daughter, of course, with, it, it eventually is his two boys and, of course, his wife and stuff, and, and you see this in the, you know, what friendships he makes and how he treats his friends and even how he treats his wife, of course, right? Like to never even really show that emotion to be so grounded in the math and all that behind it to where you can't let emotion play a part in any of this. Um, And it was just, I, that's kind of what I took out of it. It was interesting and just how emotionless he was and so thought out and planned out. And, you know, he gets the phone call when right before, right when the tragedy happened with the first Apollo and he's like, mm-hmm. this is why we have tests. Like, he was just completely calm about it and stuff, not even knowing, of course, the situation. And then still, you know, he understood. And then finding out and he crushes that glass and cuts his hand open. Yeah, yeah. It, it was the first time you've actually experienced in that entire film his emotion for anything. Um, and that's because of the connection he made with these, you know, gentlemen of trying to achieve something that no one thought was really possible. So it is crazy to think about that. Um that this is, of course, is true. So, um, and there's a lot to put into. Yeah. It. See, I never thought that you couldn't get his emotion out of the performance. Like I always thought 
that you could see it that he was suppressing it but oh yeah you could see like it, it's not noble that he wasn't expressing himself you know when he leaves the funeral early and and leaves his wife there and that sort of thing like that's not a i i don't know that's not admirable that he's committed himself so much to just not showing that emotion and just putting his head down and getting the work done i think that a lot of it stems from the fact that he has bottled up this emotion and that's made him i mean it helped propel him to do the things he did but it also is what held him back from connecting with the world again and it it was just this whole sense of like every person that he lost along the way is just it's almost like a sunk cost right like just because all these people have died doesn't mean we need to keep going and maybe it's a sign that we should stop maybe it's a sign that that we shouldn't lose all of these people but we took it a different way and we i mean as a country took it in a different a different direction right and said you know like they can't die in vain and i think that was sort of what neil armstrong and ryan gosling's portrayal of him in this movie represented is not letting his daughter die in vain not like a purpose for him to keep going and as he lost all of these friends along the way it was a purpose for him to keep going and and for all of these men too it's not just about necessarily the goal they're going to achieve but it was this idea of giving them a reason to to say that like these people died for a reason yeah and that's i think in particular this case of course this was a huge achievement and that again i'll relate this to kind of anything is when you're so invested in something and you're so grounded and build these camaraderies and you take your family along the way right whatever it might be when you see the backlash or whatever might happen along the way it kind of just makes you that much more determined that much more to double down that much more willing to just say nope i'm going all in there's no way i can give up now kind of right might be hesitant at first or whatever when like when he first started right he wasn't sure if he was going to take the job do we take this fresh start right because he had been working for another mm-hmm. you know uh aviation he worked for nasa just in a different capacity yeah so and to make that change and to make those transitions and see him just that along the way giving up i guess it wasn't really giving up more and more but willing to give more of himself to achieve this mm-hmm. for everything like you said that he had lost so um it's hard to say yeah. like a lot of people like again first time seeing it in IMAX and all that like it's a really great feeling you really get to experience it if you're seeing this for the first time and you're not like a huge movie buff like I would say that I like a lot of my friends I'm not sure if they'd really like it connect with it yeah because yeah. it's really long too like it is a long movie and it's kind of dragged out and I want to say actually dragged out but it feels dragged out because of how slow the pace is how the tone is and stuff I think it takes a lot to um like I said uh, second time viewing appreciate it more um so i just feel bummed for the guys or anyone who wants to watch this to not be able to see it in theaters because it does make the a movie difference. is uh constructed a lot like the moon mission right like it is yeah. this methodical process it's very technical it's uh the nuts and bolts of how this stuff got done and i think that's to its credit is uh, and this is again what i was talking about with the last two movies with uh, this visual style adapting to the story at hand and once again you get uh, a much slower pace and a, and a more methodical film ab- about something that was very methodical and, and sort of hammered together yeah so all right so we, i mean we talked about chazelle generally and this movie is interesting too because as much as the other two films i think are more famous this movie had a little more kick to it when it came out so one of the big things there was a big controversy about the the film not showing the american flag being planted on the moon and uh we talked about this a bit in the in the google doc here and you said it doesn't bother you because you still see the american flag sort of in the background on the moon yeah it still has a shot and but you said if if you didn't see that it would be upsetting to you it would be why is that because it was an American accomplishment. I don't know how else to look at it. The whole point was we're better than the Soviets and all this kind of stuff, right? It was during the Cold War. Uh, I'm not a huge history buff, but I know enough to well, say. during the Cold War. Yeah, right? We're at war. You know, Russia's trying to prove a point. We're better than you. Cold we're war. better than Cold War. So, there we go. 
See, look, that's why I'm not a history buff. Can't even say the right war. God dang it. Um, we're not actually fighting anymore. <laughs> or that that specific. Yeah. War, but, yes, but, but, right, it was, you know, whose guns were bigger, right? That was kind of like, you know, the situation of unfolding during that time. And to me, I'm just like, you know what? If they're going to try and compete, who doesn't want to be the best? What's wrong with claiming a stake that, you know what? I accomplished this. I did this. I understand, as he says, you know, it's one stall, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I'm not taking away that this wasn't a giant leap for mankind because obviously every country, a lot of different countries to this day, of course, adapted this, you know, space travel and all that kind of stuff. I'm not against that, but we won. We were there first. What's wrong with being first and saying, yeah, I'm first, man. Like, you lost. Sorry. So, you know, American accomplishment, I'm, you know, I'm happy for it. And why not put the American flag up there? Like, I'm not mad that they yeah. didn't show the scene where they planted the flag, but I think it's, you know, what's wrong with any other scene in a movie or whatever where you see that it, you know, symbolizes some other aspect of someone else's culture or someone else's, you know. Uh, you're making a different point, though. You're, you're saying right, what's whatever. wrong with that. You're what? saying what's wrong with that, but not like this is why it has to be in there. This mm. is why I'd be upset if it wasn't. American culture, you know I mean? man. America all the so, way. So, Okay. That's that's fine. I uh, I think it was a really dumb controversy at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that for a few reasons, right? So first of all, the American flag is all over this movie, even before they get to the moon. There's literally a scene of Neil Armstrong's son like hoisting the American flag in front of their house, and it's on the patches of all the uh, the uniforms and and things like that. But more importantly, I think it is silly because this movie isn't really about the United States going to the moon, it's about Neil Armstrong's personal journey, right? It's that That's what the movie is. It's about this man and what he did and what he sacrificed and what um, that meant to him and his family and, and whatnot. And, you know, yeah, Neil Armstrong was an American. He was the first person on the moon, the first American on the moon and all that. But the movie isn't really about that. The movie is about him individually. And then third, I think that this is a, the broader point. I put this last because I want to talk about it a little bit as well, that the movie specifically looks back on the moon landing with this hindsight of wondering whether or not it was worth it because you, you brought in the context of the cold war and how, you know, it was this race to, there's an arms race with the Soviets. There was a space race with the Soviets. And this was sort of the crowning achievement Uh, when we look back on U.S. history of like the Cold War for the United States is we were the first ones to the moon. We made it there first. And um, we don't own the moon. That's the key piece here. It is still all of our moons. But uh, specifically with this movie, I'm kind of curious because Chazelle does kind of take the time. and, And I'm wondering what you think, like looking back on it, looking at it through the lens of this movie, was the moon landing worth it for the lives lost, the money that we spent, um, all of this uh, that we put together to get it done before the end of the century to achieve um, JFK's dream of having us reach the moon by the end of the century or the decade. Do you think it was worth it? Yeah, it's it's hard to say, right? Because obviously I'm going to say, yes, it's worth it now. And I didn't live during that time period where this was happening because, yeah, it's taxpayers' money, right? Like, if they're trying to do something that we thought was impossible today, you're going to look, right? Like, why is my money going to that? Why are we doing this? Why are we trying to achieve this? And I brought it up already with, you know, uh, Ryan Gosling playing Neil Armstrong in this movie where if you're part of it and you're actually seeing firsthand what the capabilities, you know, of what all can be done and dealing with that loss, right? Like, these aren't just, you know, these are just average everyday people saying, oh, man, that sucks. Like, that guy just died, right? Like, and sometimes you feel sorry, you, you know, you pray and all that. You're like, hey, best for your family, whatever. Where these guys, Neil in particular, it's like, no, I need to push harder. I need to achieve this to, like you said, to make it worth it. Um, but is that the right thought process you know i mean obviously that's a natural thought process of someone you know you lose your friends and you you want to achieve what you set out to for them Mm -hmm. but in continuing to do so you continue to lose more friends is it is it worth it in the end you know yeah and i think in this particular case it got to a point where it was just too far to not be worth it because even neil armstrong you know they have that whole conversation where it's like at what cost because even they're questioning him 
trying to land the, you know, the second. A little late for that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, he's like, isn't it a little late for that? So at, at that point, you know, it just got to a point where I think it, it just was too far to not try and achieve it. And I think you're always going to have that, you know, what you just brought up. Um, is it worth it or all that kind of stuff? And it's, it's just really hard to tell in the moment, right? You know, you look back through, that's why it's history. You look back through all of this and you look back at people, you know, even, you know, people who achieved great things, right? Um, it's like, oh, that was foolish or whatever. And then 20 years later, it's like, oh, that guy's a revolutionary. So it's just the context and it's just, it's really hard to say if it was worth it or not. Like I said, now that I know the context and, you know, this happened in 1969, so it's, it's been quite a while, right? You know, 50 years. So of course I'm going to say, yeah, look what it did for us. And I already get to look at it through that eye, through my eyes and how where I've seen it and the history I've learned in textbooks and stuff. So it, it um, didn't really do anything for us. <laughs> we brought we back some moon rocks. We won. We have a flag. We do have a flag on the moon. We have You're multiple right. flags on the moon. So we're winners. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I guess that's the sun. I mean, that's 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 the sunk cost, buddy. You know, like yeah. once you've already sunk in, you you want to keep going. But a lot of times that's how, like, gamblers get in too deep is, you know, I've already lost all this money, I can't stop now, and then they lose all of their money, and that sort of thing. It's the same sort of idea. And I think looking back at it now, it's just, you know, we fought this this whole Cold War, again, fighting is even putting it in a different sense. But I think, like, the most interesting scene for me in that movie is, I think it's right after or right before that line you're talking about, like, it's a little late for that, and you see all the protesters and the guys uh, singing his song Whitey on the Moon. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, that's sort of true, isn't it? Like, we spend all these millions and millions of dollars to send a tin can to a rock in the in space just to say that we're able to do it, but people are dying and, and starving back home. And in the end, like, is it necessarily worth it? And I, I think, like, it, it is a great human achievement to, you know, we put our minds to something we even with the technology that was at hand at the time, like it, it is impressive that they were able to do this. But at the same time, like, you know, maybe it's not such a big deal whose flag is on the moon when, you know, we haven't really even thought about going back to the moon again because there's nothing there, you know? It's a empty rock. Yeah, I, I think ultimately it's just another one of those powerhouse kind of moves and feel good like right you know it's just a, a reason to inspire patriotism which i guess is is fine what's wrong with itself, that but it what's wrong with that is if people get too upset about a movie not having the american flag in one scene uh, I, that's what's wrong with it all right anyway uh well with that cody we've talked about um Damien Chazelle's filmography here, but we haven't assigned any star ratings. So you want to go down the line? Yeah, that's where we get our letterbox roundup time. Letterbox roundup. Whiplash, what do you give it? Whiplash is going to be a solid four out of five stars for me. Gave it a three and a half. Three and a half. All right. All right. La La Land. La La Land is la la perfect. I gave it five out of five stars. That's not a phrase that anybody says, but yeah, okay. it's my phrase. <laughs> it's a new phrase. I invented it just now. Uh, I also gave it five stars. I had it at four and a half on first watch. Upped it a little bit on the second watch because it's just delightful. I had it at four and a half, and then I gave it an after a extra half a star because of the jazz, baby. Is that a, is that a motherless Brooklyn reference? For yeah. those keeping track yeah. at home? Motherless okay. Brooklyn, I gave it an extra half star too because basically if you have jazz in your movie, you get an extra half star. It is what it is. It's four and a half, but we gave it the extra half star because we were both white. Um, first man. First man, I am going back down the scale, but not below whiplash. I also will give first man four out of five stars. First man, I give a solid four and a half out of five stars. Again, I think it's probably emotionally or, or, or thematically the deepest of the three movies, even if La La Land is more visually uh, inner interesting and uh, engaging very well that is our letterbox roundup folks that is our letterbox roundup i guess we should tell the, them uh, do the song letterbox roundup was there a whole song what should we i don't know them? if there's a whole song well, I was, we it. should tell them where they could probably find these movies 
I guess it's kind of hard. You kind of oh. have to rent these. Ooh. A lot of them you have to rent. Um, Two I heard that is First Man not on uh, not on HBO. I believe it's th- it is I think through uh, Amazon subscription. So if you have Amazon Prime and you go HBO through that, I think you get it. If I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah, I looked for it last night. I couldn't find it. It's it's like uniquely that form of HBO. That's weird. I was either really tired yeah, trying is, to look it, it up. Yeah, it is an or... Amazon subscription to HBO now. Yeah, that's see? weird. So La La Land was on. Uh... Shoot, where was La La Land? Help me out here. La La is on HBO for sure. It's on okay. uh, all forms of HBO. Whiplash, you do have to rent or buy, but I think it's on sale on uh, Apple as we record this right now. Yeah, it's like four bucks. So, yeah, it's super cheap. That's where you can uh, find these movies if you're interested in any of our discussions. And yeah, go see them if Check you have them out. Yeah, that that does it for this episode of Spinning the Reel. We talked about another uh, emerging director. We talked about Corey Finley the other day. And uh, a, a great emerging filmmaker. A lot of uh, interesting stuff that he's doing. And maybe uh, as we uh, search for content going forward uh, amidst this pandemic with no new movies coming out at any given point, we can maybe do a few more of these uh uh, tours maybe yes. we can do like a barry jenkins one uh you know moonlight and la la land that was the big fight for the oscars it's time it's that, time uh, to reflect back year. and see what we can have moving forward so when new movies do come out i'll be even that much more interested to go see it and hopefully all you guys so definitely i've been uh been flirting with the idea of watching all the oscar winners mm, that's a good idea yeah so i watched moonlight again the other day just because i mean it's kind of hard to decouple i mean like this this recently from that oscars i think it was the 2017 oscars when uh, they announced la la land as the winner of best picture when actually moonlight had won and it was this whole fiasco and so the the two movies and the two directors are sort of intertwined in that way and it's interesting to watch those movies in in contrast with one another because they're both great but just very different I have a very important question to ask you. I, I like this going back, seeing all the old Oscars and stuff. Mm-hmm. I got to ask. I haven't asked, I think, in about two or three uh, episodes now, which is equivalent to about a month. If you're at almost 100 episodes on your letterbox for uh, you know isolation watches, where are you at, Evan? Let's see. I can pull up the list right now. I am I'm trying to think if I watched something today that I didn't log. <laughs> um did I watch something this morning? It's just like if he's over no, 100. I, I, let's just I, I did. I did. I watched I watched Mulan but didn't log it. So I'm at um 135. Holy movies. moly. Holy it's getting tough at this point now cuz like everything that I've seen that I could watch like in the background it's like on streaming services I've I've watched again and so now it's trying to figure out what to watch outside yeah. of that. So I, I I've saw... gone back I watched The Apartment 1960. Um watch the uh back to the future movies jaws getting back into like the 70s and the 80s with some of these movies so trying to to fill out a lot of those i'd seen before i hadn't seen the apartment before but trying to fill in some of these blank spots that's fair i saw that uh i got an email earlier notification the princess bride i believe is on disney plus right now love the princess bride so i'm definitely gonna like that movie i it has been a while since i've seen it I'm down to do a Princess Bride. I'm down to do like a live watch The Princess Bride. Just put out a two-hour episode of us watching The Princess Bride. Uh, That'd be funny. But yeah, we'll see what we do next week. We could do that. And we were talking, maybe we'll do, uh, with all these streaming services that are up and coming as well, um, we're kind of talking, maybe we'll we'll hit on some TV series and kind of reflect on a little bit of TV and movies. Like, you know, it's spinning the reel. It doesn't have to be just movies. Yeah. Well, before we let the people go, Cody, you want to tell them where they can find us? All right. So they can find us on social media platforms, this is at least. They can find us on Instagram, and they can find us on Twitter. That's where we interact with our True. day-to-day people. We and do that. that's at Spinning the Real R-E-E-L. So we hope you reach out over there. And if you want to just listen to us, 
hopefully you're already listening to us so you have a platform you listen to and what if kind of gotten this far yeah if you gotten this far then i don't really have to tell you, you where to listen where to, to find us, us. <laughs> so but yeah we're on apple and all that good stuff you know we definitely you know i guess i haven't asked for reviews in a while i don't want to just tell you to leave a review but if you're liking hey, if what you, you hear leave a review we'll read it yeah i'll read it and i'll maybe i'll even shout it out on the podcast because we have like no reviews so i want to no i mean like i'll read it on the podcast yeah like i will dedicate a segment i'll read the whole thing i won't edit any of it if you want to call me an asshole a lot of expletives i'll read <laughs> any word except for one specific word that i won't say but that uh, would be fun so yep guys we appreciate you uh listening in and we hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week and we look forward to the next uh next episode take it easy thanks guys bye